Hey Sylvia, it's uh, Tuesday, March the 31st, and it's about 20 to 20 to 10 at night here in Istanbul. Uh, I really, really, really loved your letter, and uh, I've been actually so excited to respond to it, and even th- like this afternoon and this evening, just uh, re-listening to it and kind of taking some notes and and all of that, and just thinking about it, I'm actually kind of nervous. Um, and I mean, nervous, and but in, in a positive way. It's it's just exciting to be talking about something besides the coronavirus and <laughs> its effects on the world and whatnot. So um, I'm not even going to go there uh, because there's so many more interesting things to talk about. Actually, and first of all, I think it's. Uh, Interesting that we discovered that our mothers almost share a birthday. So your mother's birthday is March 19th and mine is the 20th. And so I, we probably, you know, spent consecutive days thinking a lot about our mothers. And, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's well, my mother's been, yeah, 10 years almost since she passed away. So, um which is hard to believe. One thing about about my mother it, it, that uh, <laughs> I always find extremely endearing is that she loved her birthday, and she would remind me uh, that her birthday was coming up well in advance, but it was always extremely cute. So she would say, you know what next month is? I'd say, no, Ma, what is it? You know, I'd say... Oh, come on, you know what it is. Yeah, it's your birthday. <laughs> next week, and what's next? Anyway, so it would be this big build-up for her. She really loved her birthday, um, and and I really love to think of her getting excited about it. Um, but I also have to say that, you know, for me, thinking about her birthday is always a bit of a time of regret, because I think, I, which is maybe typical that, you know, children oftentimes think they, I don't know, maybe didn't treat their parents the best or, you know, they wish they'd done this and they wish they'd done that. And that's definitely true for me. Um, I don't know. I always think of myself as, I think with my mother, I always felt a bit like a, like a bratty adolescent. Um, and I'm now looking back, I mean, just one thing, she always wanted to go in and take studio photos. Uh, I don't have that many photos of my mother, and she really missed out on the whole smartphone or anything like that. So, um, you know, we just have the kind of snapshots from from home now and then over the years. But uh, and and we did get one studio photo together. I think I think maybe I was in eighth or ninth grade, and <laughs> I have to send you a photo of it. It's oh my, you see my glasses? Oh, it's a it's it's something. But uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, now I regret that, I don't know, just out of some weird kind of stubbornness, I refuse to give her this very small satisfaction. So, um, yeah, mothers, so, um, yeah, I miss my mother. So, uh, moving right along, (laughs) I'm glad you finally watched uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, as you know, I, I mean, I watched it as soon as it came out on the cinemas here. I was very excited to see it. 
I actually knew nothing about it. I just knew that it existed and that, you know, it was about this lesbian relationship. And I'd seen the posters and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always a fan of, of uh, period pieces, as you, as you know. So I wanted to touch on a few points that you, you mentioned. Um, one of them, first and foremost, perhaps, being the, the topic of eroticism. And I think it's very interesting. I also read in, you know, what Celine Siama wrote or, or said in an interview that in France they didn't think the movie was erotic at all, that, you know, there weren't any proper sex scenes and not not enough nudity, as if that somehow equates to eroticism. Um, I mean, maybe first we should talk about how do, how do we define eroticism anyways. Because, um, I mean, I'm, I think it maybe comes more from the suspense than even the culmination necessarily. Um, and it's it's really the build up that even if there's a culmination that that kind of makes things that 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 makes that culmination erotic as well. So it's kind of this idea of showing, telling just enough, which I think the the movie did brilliantly. I would also say that it does a brilliant job of though having a lot of what we would call eye sex. I mean, just the gazes and the glances and all of that's just absolutely fabulous. Um, and f- for me, I think it it's possibly matched by a movie I know I've mentioned before, which is Disobedience, um, which came out a couple of years ago and um, is just, I think, another, yeah, brilliant movie with a lot of great eye sex and a lot of great sexual tension and also no, you know, superfluous nudity or anything like that. It has a actually a I think a lovely sex scene where there is no complete nudity actually and that was definitely um, done by design one thing that this made me think of too is the idea so looking at for example blue is the warmest color uh, which I did not like at all I watched it by myself when it came out I watched it in a movie theater in New York and I remember just cringing throughout the whole sex scene and I thought okay I don't know I mean you know the actresses clearly were giving it their all and maybe the only kind of saving grace of that movie was a lot of the the gazes and in that and these kind of you know the the way the camera would just kind of hold on their faces a lot of times um was quite powerful but at the end of the day I mean even from the very beginning when we're you know the camera's kind of focused on the on the the (laughs) the ass of one of the girls and you think I don't know. It felt creepy. It did feel creepy in a way, and and um, and I reflect on that and think, well, okay, it was a male director, but I don't think it really has anything to do with that. I mean, with in the case of Disobedience, it's directed by Sebastian Lelio, you know, this Chilean uh, director who's obviously male, um, which was also very interesting in an interview about that movie. Rachel Weisz says how she thought she, having seen his other movies, she just assumed he was gay. <laughs> And, uh, you know, just thought, yeah, he would have the sensibility to direct this movie. And he's actually, I guess, uh, heterosexual. But uh, it just kind of goes to show that these things don't always don't always overlap. And even Celine Siam, again, in some interviews was saying that, um, you know, mentioned, I mean, just how the male gaze kind of dominates even the L word in so many episodes, maybe even seasons, one might say. And so even things that are, you know, fronted, made, directed, written by queer people can be kind of patriarchal and 
actually yeah full of this male gaze so i think in the case of blue is the warmest color for example then it's it's the person who makes it it's not necessarily their sex um you mentioned call me by your name and you know i don't know i've not i just can't i can't get all worked up about that movie the way so many people are but i think i was also just very put off by timote how how do you pronounce his name timote chalamet's um kind of pubescence he was he seemed so young to me that it kind of i don't know it made me feel uncomfortable in a way um and yeah so i don't know and that whole the i don't know the setting and everything it wasn't it wasn't me that's not really a movie for me maybe i'm just not i don't know i'm not a particularly sophisticated movie goer but yeah um but yeah, the eroticism in 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 Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I think, was there um, for sure, and yeah, I think that as you were mentioning too, that that though that the director showed just enough. Having said all of that, obviously, I think you know Celine Sciamma's own identity obviously um, brings something to this movie. I mean, it's a whole it's it's a culmination of her and I think you know she views filmmaking in a in from a very political and artistic angle at the same time and she does a brilliant job of of bringing these two together which brings me to so I I, I chose so that I wouldn't go on for hours and hours I chose three words to just talk about so the first was eroticism the second one is solidarity which uh, I have another friend who when after watching this movie said the first thing she was just shocked that there was so so much kind of female solidarity in the movie that you know she was expecting the love story but not not that necessarily and I think that's you know absolutely true it's very interesting as soon as kind of the you know the lady of the house leaves all of a sudden we have these three women who were part of a hierarchy are all of a sudden in the kitchen together all the time and they're you know they're they're doing things together and the hierarchy's completely broken down and you know one of them has this you know dilemma the other two are 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 working together with her and it's also not it, i think it it's actually their their relationship with uh with with uh the the servant is also very touching um one of the most touching aspects of the movie i think and it says a lot that that the 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 narrative doesn't let the love affair kind of run away with it and if you think about i don't know if i think if i think about you know these two people very kind of falling in love with each other and very consumed with each other yet they don't they don't let that become their sole priority and take over their lives that they also you know come to that rescue's not the right word but they they uh you know they they help this this other woman and she's also helping them. So I think, yeah, solidarity is actually a pretty big theme. And I can't see that anyone, well, I haven't written, or I haven't read everything that's been written about it, but I've, I've read quite a few things. And it's, it's not a topic that's brought up much, which I'm kind of surprised by. Um, the third word is the muse, which does come up a lot. Um, because obviously, you know, this is, this is kind of Celine trying to, trying to uh, turn the whole idea of the muse, not turn it upside down, but the whole idea that, that it's a, it's an active passive relationship whereas the idea here is that you know you only have there's no muse to the artist you have two muses to each other in a way um so it's really a mutual relationship and i think that's what that's what's really being gotten at uh, with the phrase you know if you look at me who do i look at 
so yeah one other thing one other thing this movie brought up for me is um is uh i think when we, once when we were we were uh talking or chatting is this idea of talking about lesbians staying friends with their exes which is a big theme and of course then comes up a lot in interviews you know with adele and with uh celine and i speak of them as if we're old friends using their first names but anyways um and and you know this 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 movie is also i mean just by virtue of the fact of them working together too is is in a way a comment on that um and that rem- and so i was just looking at some of the interviews and some some stuff about the movie and there's one quote from Celine where she says power dynamics are everywhere and i'm trying to make films that are manifestos and uh, she you know goes on when talking about which I think is good. I mean, I try to make films that are manifestos. Is not is that not just fabulous? It's just absolutely wonderful. Um, there's a great interview with her in Autostraddle, in which um, they're talking about you know depictions of lesbian love in on in film in general. And uh, I just want to read a paragraph, actually a little more from that. Um, and she says it's it's impossible. It's impossible love in the most painful ways, speaking of what's depicted usually. It has to be painful, and this is propaganda. Fiction has an impact on our lives. So the fact that it's represented in a very painful way is a way to make us feel bad about ourselves, and also just to maintain power over the narrative. It was already the case on Water Lilies, where lesbians were saying, we want a happy ending, we want a happy ending. But what is a happy ending in a lesbian love story? Eternal possession? We want a frozen image of two people getting married? We have to tell our own narratives regarding how we lead our lives and how we love. Talking about the different power dynamics in a lesbian relationship is the first thing. Then building a love dialogue without expected conflict, departing from love as conflict, love as a bargain. Saying that love is fulfilling, love can be emancipating, and it's also about friendship, relying on that kind of eternity. I feel this is all something we have put out there because it's the politics of love. And I think our approach is very dangerous to those in power, which is why it's never shown. Is that not the greatest quote ever? Oh, God. Anyways, my heart just raises. It's so, oh, I think it's brilliant. So, yeah. Wow, right? Um, so, yeah. And this film kind of, so, so it's very, it's a very political film, actually. And, and, and people don't seem to talk about that so much, but, um, or not directly using those particular, you know, the particular words but it's a manifesto, and it's a wonderful, wonderful manifesto. So, yeah, now I need to go back. Now I need to go watch Water Lilies and such, and, and Boyhood, which I still haven't seen, embarrassingly enough. One movie I have seen, though, that you also mentioned is Pain and Glory, and uh, I, can't, I can't say that I'm a huge aficionado of Almodovar's films. I've certainly seen several, and I've definitely appreciated what I've seen, but... Um, yeah, it's he's not he's not he's not someone I've watched over and over again. But I I watched Pain and Glory again in the cinema here back in the old days when the cinemas were open and we could go watch movies in them. Um, and I thought it was I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was very touching. But again, it might be just kind of a selfish thing. It's how much you relate to stuff. Um, so which is why I'm always saying that I'm not sure how well I uh, well I don't know. What does it mean that I? the things that I kind of feel I can appreciate and other things that I feel kind of over my head or just outside my sphere that 
if they don't speak enough directly to me, does that mean I lack an empathy? I don't know. Anyways, uh, but Pain and Glory, I thought, was very touching. And, I mean, I cried in the movie theater and everything, I think. But I also think that, you know, I already feel like a, like a <laughs> kind of a, a lonely old gay person. So I could really... Um, uh, although my apartment is not nearly as fabulous as uh, as the apartment um, there in the in the movie, I could definitely relate to it, and I thought it was I don't know I really, really uh, yeah really appreciated it. And then um, you mentioned that you're reading this biography of Selma Selma Lagerlof, and I have heard of her. Um, I've never read anything by her. I had no idea she was queer. But um, I'm definitely interested to hear more and read more myself, hopefully. Uh, that did bring to mind for me Toby Anson, who's, who's a personal favorite. And actually, I uh, just recently read uh, her novel, True, The True Deceiver, um, which I thought was, was, was fabulous. I mean, I love the, I mean, the Moomin books I love as well, but I, I really loved when I read, um, I think I really fell in love with her when I read Fair Play. Another little novel, which is basically just this autobiographical novel about you know her and 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 um, her partner, and it's just these wonderful, brilliant scenes. And I don't know who the hell I gave that book to, but like once a week I go, I rummage through everything in my apartment looking for that damn book, and I must have given it to someone, or hopefully loaned it to them, and hopefully they'll bring it back eventually. I don't know because it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And um, there was a time when anybody who visited me, I would ask them to sit down and read this one chapter called Fireworks. Oh, I love that chapter. If I'd found the book, I was going to read it to you, but uh, I couldn't find it. So I have to save that for another time. And hopefully I will be able to hunt down the person that I gave this book to um, and and get it back so I can read that. Uh, it's It's really, really brilliant. So, yeah, I think... I think that may be about all. I can say, oh, one thing I didn't want to mention, too, is that in the things I've been uh, reading in the past past week, 10 days, I tried to read Orhan Pamuk's um, A New Life, which I'd never, I'd never read, and I, I couldn't get past 50, 60 pages, and I just thought, I thought it was such another case of this kind of uh, man fixating on a manic pixie girl, and it just frustrated me to no end. And I don't know, the older I get, the more willing I am to abandon books that I'm just not, I don't feel I'm getting anything out of. It doesn't mean I have to love them, um, but I have to I have to feel I'm getting something out of them, right? So, yeah, so I abandoned, I abandoned that. And, uh, yeah, and then I've just finished a, a Turkish book by an author called Erhan Bener, uh, kind of a modern classic, and uh, it's a, it's a brilliant little book that takes place over 24 hours and it's all in the head of a, of a, a police officer. Um, and it's called Bojik, which is really bug, but I would probably call it cockroaches because it's that kind of what he's really talking about most of the time is cockroaches and he sees everybody as cockroaches. And he's just this kind of really brilliant anti-hero. So, yeah, so I'm glad I read that. You can't read that, but um, maybe one of these days. And now my, my new project is to finally read Crime and Punishment because I've never read Crime and Punishment, believe it or not. I feel like I'm, I'm missing something. I don't know. And I feel like everybody has read Crime and Punishment. I don't know if that's true. Um, but And especially in Turkey because Dostoevsky's just... Phew, everybody's read 
everybody's read everything by Dostoevsky in Turkey, it would seem. Okay, well, this has been quite the letter, Sylvia. And yeah, so I'm going to sign off and go sit and snuggle with Tila and Judy and uh, then call it a night. So I look forward to receiving your next letter and I hope you're hanging in there and everything's fine at home uh, in our quarantine phase here. And um, yeah, even though we're far apart, I'm really glad we have each other. So, all right, take care, monsieur, bye-bye.